Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the That Sounds Fun podcast. This is your host, Annie F. Downs, and I am coming to you live from New York City. Hence the reason this podcast quality sounds a little different than what you are used to. I am in the city right now and recording on my phone. And you will also hear Lisa Joe and I recording through an app that we love called Ringer. And so it'll sound a little bit different this week. It still sounds awesome. Just wanted to give you the heads up that that's why it sounds different because I am not in Nashville. I am up in New York and I'm really excited. This is a super, super fun week. We have a lot of celebrating to do besides just the fact that I get to be in New York City. Um, This is the one year anniversary, the happy birthday to Little Looking for Lovely, my most recent book. Y'all have been so generous and kind in the last year to not only read the book, but to share it with your people. And that has just meant the world to me. So thank you very, very much. It has been a really fun year. This is also our one-year anniversary of having our wonderful producer, Chad Michael Snavely, making this podcast sound awesome instead of the way it sounded when I was in charge. So it's been a a full year of us having high-quality sounding podcasts that match the quality of the people we bring on the show. And so I'm so grateful to Chad and thankful for our podcast diversity today. Um, A year ago, actually, on April 7th of 2016, the episode was entirely about looking for lovely and about, I got to read from it and kind of talk about the book. So if you want to go back and hear that on the one year birthday of looking for lovely, that is in the archives. Are y'all so proud of me for all these weeks in a row of the podcast? I know. I'm having a great time, too. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation with John Mark Comer last week. I'm still totally on cloud nine about it. Hearing lots of people who've started his book and it's raising questions and making you think. And I love that. I think that's really good. I'm not scared of that at all. Same with Adam Weber's book, um, Talking with God, about prayer. They are really both John Mark's book. God Has a Name and Adam's book, Talking with God, are raising a lot of questions and causing conversation. I think that's totally, totally brilliant. Hey, in the background, I just want to remind you, our friend Ellie Holcomb is singing to us from her new album, Red Sea Road. It is still remains one of my very favorites. A couple of weeks ago, you know, we had Jennifer Dukes Lee on the podcast, one of my friends that writes with me at Encourage, talking about craving connection. And this week we have kind of the boss of Encourage, the woman who has been the community manager for years, one of my dear friends, someone I totally love and think you're going to love too, Lisa Jo Baker. Her new book, Never Unfriended, released this week, and it is amazing. And I think you're going to love it. Everybody deals with friendship issues and everybody knows what it's like to be cared for well in a friendship and to not be cared for well in a friendship. And Lisa Joe covers all those bases. And so I think you're going to love this conversation with Lisa Joe Baker. I, you know, one of the thing, problems I have in my house is that there's someone who lives in the attic of my house, like a different, she's not oh, a roommate, like it's a like tenant. a tenant. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can't ever like blast my worship music or blast my anger oh. or any, like nothing gets <laughs> to be quite as loud as I would do if I had a house that was freestanding from. Everyone should be allowed to blast their feelings at some point. That's what I'm, I'm going to move. I'm going to move to a different location where it's a less squeaky chair, I think. Okay. Yeah, I think everybody should be able to express as loud as they need to their emotions. But man, people who live in apartments or like people who live in New York, like, sorry, you're going to have to go to kickboxing class to let it out because you've got neighbors on six sides or something. Right. Well, we moved to this house that's on an acre and it's just amazing. Like my kids can scream and yell on the trampoline and I don't have to constantly be like, keep it down. Right. I could just be like, go outside and vent. Right. See, I think I grew up a little spoiled in that because our house is on a lake and I could walk around the lake and sing and be silly and yell and do whatever I want. And no one ever like, you know, the good old 80s when, like, my mom didn't even care where I was for three hours. I know. And then when it was time for dinner, she would just yell and we'd all come in, you know? Totally. So do you still do that? Do you still let your kids just go and play outside? Well, we can at this house now because it's on an acre and it's 
kind of like down this little country road. So it's not like there's a big road going past us, which is why uh, I love it so much. But no, you can't. You have to be paranoid. You are paranoid all the time. The news is so scary. So Right. Is that new? No. Or did parents like 20 years ago feel that too? It feels new to me, but it's but also I, I can't figure new. out if it's new or if it's because I'm finally an adult in the story versus the kid no, in the story. No, I think it's new. My childhood, we used to disappear for whole days. Like right. I remember we had a bike gang and we'd ride our bikes all over the neighborhood for hours and hours and hours. I don't ever remember telling my parents where I was going. And we had no cell phones. Right. So it's not like they could check up on us. Right. Like, they had no idea. And they didn't seem to be concerned. Like, I actually have memories of telling my mom, I wish she'd care more about where I'm gone. Like, so-and-so's <laughs> mom gets worried about her and you don't care at all. <laughs> right. I mean, can you imagine not having cell phones? I know I did it as an adult. I mean, like, and when I was in college, I didn't have a cell phone. But I'm like, how did we all meet up at the same time at the same place to go watch a football game when we didn't have cell phones. I know. I remember New Year's Eve where me and my best friend spent the whole night just driving back and forth between two clubs because we kept missing each other and uh-huh. there's no way to like call the other person. So we would drive and be like, oh, she must be here. And then I'd get there and she had driven somewhere else. Oh, and I was like, imagine how a cell would have simplified that situation. Right. I wonder how many how much more punctual people were before cell phones. Because now when I imagine a group of college students meeting up to walk to a football game, three people can go, hey, I'm running five minutes late. I'll meet you there. Hey, I'm, right. you know, like how often did we leave our friends? <laughs> or did everybody just, you? if we're going the game at 10, you better be there at 10. I guess. Or we're walking without you. It feels like, like as my son would be like, oh man, the 80s. Yeah, right. how did you guys do it? Right. Like Jackson was like, or Jack will be like, oh, this is 80s music, isn't it? And I'm like, <laughs> how do you know? And he's like, cause all the feelings. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do you know what's interesting is I just had a conversation with a fiction writer and that writer said to me, my editor says we don't set any books in the eighties because there's nothing, there is nothing particularly interesting or unique about the eighties according to this one (laughs) fiction editor. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, when's the last time you read a book set in the eighties? Well, isn't that whole TV show Stranger Things set in the eighties and that's part of the appeal? Is it the 80s? I guess so, yeah. Late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, you're right. Stranger Things. And then there's one called The Goldbergs on TV, maybe. This is not an endorsement from Lisa, Joe, or I, because we haven't watched that one. Wait, are we recording right now? Because I feel at no point did you tell me we're now live. Oh, yeah, we're going. That's how That's <laughs> how I is... trick you people into this, is we just go. <laughs> All right, this is happening. It's so real. I I'm know. a great parent who always knows where her children are. Yeah, that is what you said. That is exactly what you said. Um, okay, it's so my Stranger- mom who yeah, wasn't. It's my mother who didn't care who I was. Right. Did you watch Stranger Things? Did you like it? I did not because I have a very low scary tolerance. Oh, and so okay. My husband said he thought I would like it. Um, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm not good at turning off TV shows and leaving them behind me. Like they follow me into the bedroom at night when it's dark and it's hard for me. So did you watch it? I did watch it. I really, I, I was, I also have a relatively low tolerance for scary and I have an incredibly high capacity for imagination. And so I have to be real careful what I watch because I watch it 10 more times in my head with added scenes. And so, um, so I liked it though. The first episode was scary. And after that, it kind of, uh, lightened up, but I, you're right. I think it must be set in the eighties. Cause there were parts like, I remember the older, the teenage sister's bedroom looking like my friend's older sister's bedroom. It's funny. Well, that's why my husband said he liked it so much because mm-hmm. it was set in the 80s. And he's like, and what TV show is ever set in the 80s? Right. You know? no, for so a that reason. That was actually the appeal. Right. Yes. But I do love TV. I mean, like, I'm a crazy binge watching fool. Yeah. Like, tell I me what, like, me what are TV. the couple that you've watched recently that you love? Um, well, I. I don't know about you. Are you a person who re-watches movies or re-reads books? Some. A, a small percent, but I am a high level. Like, I'll watch Notting Hill 100 times right. versus watching four <laughs> movies 25 times. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. So I have certain writers, too, that I really love. So it's funny because, like, you know, you and I have writer friends, and they all do different things to get inspired. And some of them read Tim Keller or, I don't know, do a Beth Moore study or whatever. I watch Aaron Sorkin. TV shows. Yes, I he know that my about you. Favorite writer him. of all time, and I mean, all the way from his very first one, you know, Sports Night 
through to, you know, he did, of course, the newsroom, his most recent. But my favorite one is actually not the West Wing, which I love and own, obviously. I, hysterically, though, I now, I had a, the whole thing on DVD back when you had to do that before right. Netflix. Right, um, But my favorite one that he did is called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Did you ever watch that no. one? No. Do you know, I'm just oh, not an Aaron so Sorkin, great. I don't know enough. Not, I'm not. It's not that I'm not into him. him, it's that I don't know enough. So you said, like, well, you know, it starts with Sports Night, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love him because he writes dialogue and it sounds like music. Like, it's so oh, beautiful wow, that's how beautiful. he writes. Yeah. And I get that some people don't like him because they don't agree with his political points of view or whatever. Sure. And he, he admits it himself. He talks about how his script, his screenplay for the American president was like, you know, like hundreds of pages longer than normal because he just enjoyed hearing the sound of his own voice pretending yeah. to be the president. You know? Oh, that's so good. But um, I like him because he understands that great writing has to sound like music, like it has rhythm and flow and ebb, like so that as a reader, when you're reading it, um, you you feel inspired and sometimes don't know why, but I think that's why. So anyway, I watch his shows when I'm in a, in a writing slump, and I admit to you, Annie, I just signed up for, did you know that I you saw this master classes? I oh saw my. you do this on the internet. Oh my gosh, I'm such a nerd. No, I love I, it. It's, the, it's genius. It's these two guys had this great idea for a startup, and they're like, let's go to experts. Like, I mean, like tennis players, musicians, composers, filmmakers, and ask them to teach an online masterclass. Like Steve Martin teaches a class on comedy. It's I saw that. Amazing. Yeah. So I bought Aaron Sorkin's. I wanted to do it for a long time, and it's not super expensive. And the videos are like eight or nine minutes. And is it and, on writing um, or is it on screenplays? Or? It's on everything. Like it's the art of writing. It's about screenplays. It's about character development. It's about plot. It's about what drives you know the story forward. And of course, there's really awesome moments where he unpacks like some classic scenes from the West Wing and those characters like what drives Toby forward what motivates CJ you know and I don't it's fun to climb inside a writer's head and understand yeah. where they're yeah. coming from when they write so yep total Aaron Sorkin nerd so it really brings up an interesting conversation I'm having internally with myself and with some oh, of my team great. is because you said a really interesting line I know everyone doesn't agree with everything this guy says politically right and I and, and this is something that you and I and people in our job have to think about a lot is what's the point, and I would love for you to actually give me an answer if you have one, <laughs> what's the point where you can like what you like, but we also have, also us liking something publicly is also endorsing it. And this can be a product mm. or a person. Where's the line? How, how have you figured out that line of what we, you, you know, because you talk about Aaron Sork, Sork, Sorkin? Sorkin. Sorkin. No, Sorkin. All of a sudden, I lost it. Aaron Sorkin. And, and there may be someone who goes, oh, that one episode, I cannot believe Lisa Joe said that because that one right. episode, they do that one thing, right? Right, But then right. there's this like, but can't we be human and like who we like and like what we like without endorsing every single thing that that person or that thing is about? Right, right. How have you found that balance? I mean, do I get to play the Jesus card here? Yeah, yeah, I want you to. I, <laughs> I love mean, his cards. I his life. He's constantly, is, he's getting accused about who he's associating with, right? I mean, people did not like who his friends were, who he spent time with, you know, prostitutes, drunkards, fishermen, probably all kinds of people that would be on blacklists in the church today. But um, his association was not his endorsement, right? Mm -hmm. he, he spent time with them and he didn't change his behavior, so you know, where am I going with this? There's just got to be space for us to appreciate great art. And I think if we are, if we believe that we're made in the image of Christ, that any time something, you mean know, to quote scripture, anything time something beautiful, good, noble, praiseworthy shows up, to me those are reflections back of the creator, you know, that shows up in the art that's around us. And so I just... I grew up in, a, so I, here's some background on me. I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in a theater family. Um, my brothers both produce movies. They own a film company in South Africa. And actually, I'm not even kidding you, Sunday night, they just won the South African equivalent of the Golden Globes. <gasps> no um, way! For, yeah, best director and best writing and best actor for one of their shows. And my brother's you the director and my other brother's one of the writers. Yeah, so they have all these pictures of themselves on the red carpet with their big award. And actually, they were on TV. My brother accepted the award for best director. So it's, so our family That's grew amazing, up. Lisa Jo. Yeah, I know, it's What's very it called? exciting. The show that they won for, it's called High Rollers. 
Okay. And here's the interesting thing. So talking about this, can you be believers? So we talk about this in our family all the time. Can you be believers and write stories that have, you know, challenging moral situations in them? And so my brothers and I, we and our family feels very passionately about this. We talk about it a lot because this show is set in a casino. Mm-hmm. And the premise is there are three brothers. One of them's been in prison and he gets out of prison and they want to start a church in a casino. And, oh, but yet, of course, you have the casino dynamic and you have the faith dynamic and it's a soap opera and there's all kinds of things that happen on the whole moral spectrum. Sure. But my brothers are storytellers and they talk about how scripture tells all kinds of stories and often without moralizing. It just tells you the story and right. then it's up to you, right, to understand the story. And of course, Christ is very clear about certain things, absolutely. But um, so we grew up in a family where we believed that stories were important because they reflect what happens in real life. Mm-hmm. And um, someone asked me recently on an interview, and I, I think this is related to what we're saying, we were talking about friendship and they asked me, do you believe that you can have deep friendship in a friendship that's unequally yoked? Oh, and I was yeah. like, okay, what does that even mean? Like, right. is that a, that's a marriage thing? And then I was like, oh, he's asking me, can I be friends with someone who's not a Christian? And I was like, right. I sure hope so, because my life would feel really small if I was just being friends with people who are exactly like me. And I feel that way about art, too. There are definitely going to be things in art that I draw a line at and I you know, I choose to be careful what I watch or put into my head. And I talk to my kids about this all the time. What you put in your head is like tattoo. It's there, you know, be careful what you put in. But at the same time, I feel like storytelling is how we process the world. It is for me. And um, there are some stories that might not be faith-driven stories, but are still very powerful because at the end of the day, wherever we discover good, it's a reflection back of the Christ who is good. So I don't know that there's a, you know, I wish there was a ruler, a line, a measuring stick that we could come up with a great answer, but I'm guessing it's probably much like anything else that we participate in, the foods we eat or what we choose to drink or who we, how we speak, what our conversation is, how we dress, there, you know, there are prescription. There are guidelines in scripture, but there's no one size fits all prescription. So, sure. I mean, I got a review on Amazon. Someone was very oh, angry. why do you read angry. those? Oh, they're funny. Very angry about how I had referenced this. Um, what did she say? Perverse television show in my book, and she was talking about Friends. Oh wow! And so, you know. We're all going to be on different points in the spectrum. And I get that Friends has got lots of references that might be offensive to some people, but they're not to me, or at least I'm able to sift through them in a way that maybe she couldn't. And so I just, you have to give space for people to be on a journey with Christ where the beginning of the journey might look different than the middle, might Mm -hmm. look different than the end, you Mm -hmm. know, and what I think I can trust my own mind with. But there are some shows I won't watch, like for me that are beyond the line, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, but I have friends who watch them who are fine. So at the end of the day, I have to walk real close with Jesus and make sure that if I'm hanging out with certain friends or stories or TV shows or books, that I'd be comfortable if he's hanging out there with me. Yeah, that's right. It's been It's a real interesting spot for me as well when I'm scheduling guests for the podcast. Because you and I are very good friends. We probably Mm -hmm. don't agree on every single thing on the entire planet. Right. I mean, you like The Bachelor. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I have been known to participate in watching that series. That is correct. That is exactly the truth. And, and so then you, so it just kind of has me, it, it has me thinking a lot about WWJD. Right. I mean, just to be honest, (laughs) who would Jesus read and what would Jesus watch and who would he have on his podcast and how was he okay with making people angry and I'm not? Right. Right. And the interesting thing about Jesus, of course, is that he reads everybody because he knows all of us. Do you know what I mean? Like there's nothing that could shock or surprise him. Like there's nothing. I mean, he sees the perverse depths of our own hearts in ways that no TV show could ever accurately even depict. And in a a ridiculously internet way, you and I and and some of our friends, we all are kind of leading voices in in our space a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So who we, what books we tell people to read. I mean, I had someone come back, back at me hard because I said to read a book that did not totally agree with everything they believed in. How could you mm-hmm. tell people to read this book when it says this, this, and this? So it feel it's a little weighty to me that yeah. that we're that I'm 
thoughtful, not careful as in trying to please people, but thoughtful of if someone gets unhappy that I have this book endorsed or this TV show endorsed or this person, even the word endorsed, if I have, if I, if people aren't happy that I'm friends with somebody, have I thought through why I would say I'm still okay with this? Right. I mean, I remember listening to an interview with Beth Moore where she was talking through the same thing. And she was saying it's why she doesn't publicly say what movies she's watching or what books she's reading. Because she said she just has a very diverse palette. Like, she likes, she loves to read all kinds of people who might disagree with her, you know, or that she might disagree with. Or, um, but, you know, we, it's interesting, right? Because she also came from a family that owned a movie theater. So she right. grew up watching movies too. So I think there's something about when you come from a background of stories that you understand inherently the power of listening to other people's stories, many of which I disagree with, you know? Right, but right. it's only sometimes shaping what I agree or disagree with is in direct experience with that story. Sometimes yeah. I need to hear that story to understand, hmm, no, I don't agree with that. I mean, it's and the same so, with our neighbors as much as it's on Twitter, right? right, right. <laughs> like, I have to sit down and listen to my neighbors tell stories that I don't agree with everything they say or do, and they don't certainly don't agree with everything I say or do. Yeah, or our own families. I mean, <laughs> these right. days, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. I just, Right, but it, it's different, you know, the conversations I have with my kids about movies or stories or books than I have on a podcast like this, because I don't know who's listening, you know, I don't know what shapes them or what background they're bringing to the table, because at the end of the day, we all bring our own baggage, we all bring our own lenses, and some things that might not be offensive to me might be deeply offensive to someone else, and if I took the time and I actually knew them and I heard their story, I might understand why, and then I might not have recommended that book or story to them right. in person. So there are definitely certain books or movies that I love so much, but that I might rather have a personal conversation to a friend to explain why I love it or why they should watch this, um, what they can get out of it, than I might you know, have publicly here. Then you might tweet out, everybody... <laughs> Yeah, you need to go watch, to watch this. this. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of, have you seen Beauty and the Beast yet? I just saw it with my daughter. Okay, what do you think on a 1 to 10? What do you give it? It's hard when movies are hyped that much, right? You know? Yeah. So I would give it, like, I'm going to give you a Zoe score first. So she okay. just turned six. She yep. gives it, like, you know, a 20 out of 10, okay. like, hands down. She told me she felt like she was in the movie oh, is how bless. she felt. She That's loved it so much. She sat on the edge of her seat just like entranced by sure. it. Um, it was beautiful, beautiful movie. But I don't know for all, and this is like sacrilege to say, but it didn't move me as much as some of the others have in the past. I, said, I, think I had me, the same experience. Did you? Yes. And I wanted to be moved. I was ready. I was like, take my heart and ring it out. Because I cried like a baby in Cinderella, the live action Cinderella. <laughs> yes. Yes, the end where she's talking yes. about what you know what beauty's really like when oh, she's dancing oh, by herself in the middle yes. of the ballroom. Yes, yes. I mean I, it. It knocks my socks off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I cried like a little baby in The Little Mermaid. I mean, I trust yeah. me, I can cry in a good Skittles commercial. Like, <laughs> I I know how to feel the feelings. But I don't know. Actually, so you've seen it too. So yep. can I just say spoiler alert? Like, Yeah, spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler, everyone spoiler. who didn't see it in 1991. <laughs> but I don't feel like this gives much away. I mean, right. in the movie, the, to me, the most powerful actually was watching the I don't know, the furniture, the dishes become themselves again and reconnect oh, sure. with like their spouse or their child or whatever. Like those moments of tangible loss and longing and reconnection mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. pricked my heart. Like they were beautiful for me. But I don't know. I, I, the scenery was amazing. The, it was beautiful. The cinematography was gorgeous. But I don't know. My heart was waiting to get up and weep, but I didn't. So Same. I don't know if I'm allowed to say I that. I felt, but. oh, of course you are. Here, here it, that sounds fun. Lisa Joe. you can say whatever you want and I still will be your friend and put you oh, on my good, podcast. Good. Um, I also was a little concerned at how, and, and we were only on like the fifth row. So to be fair, I was really close. Oh, you were but, nose to nose with the screen. Yeah, maybe the sixth row, but the beast looks really computer generated to me. Did, did you? Oh, that's interesting. That did not strike me as much. Yeah, I may um, need to see it again I, in a farther away point of view. Yeah, I felt like he was a little too, like, almost handsome. Does that sound weird? Like, he was very, you know, 
dark, rugged, and handsome. But they had the close-ups on his face and not so beastly. I don't know. But I, I'll tell you what did strike me, like what was very powerful that I got out of this more than I ever have out of, you know, I've read all the iterations of the book and the cartoon and everything. But I thought the juxtaposition between the beast's beastliness and Gaston's, you know, good looks, but inner beast was mm. very powerful for me. I like agree. those last scenes of oh, the true gosh. ugliness of yes. Gaston, like the ugly horror that by the end you no longer saw him as handsome, you only saw him as like as vile and yeah. ugly yeah. as a monster was very powerful for me. Like more than the love story, that story of like what the things we try as parents to teach our kids, like it's not what's right. on the outside, it's what's on right. the inside. That last scene, man, was very, very powerful. And I thought Emma Watson was brilliant as the oh, be- I love as Belle. I loved yeah. her. Yeah, I thought she could have been way over the top, but I thought she was understated. Yeah, she and was very herself, says a person who yeah. doesn't know her at all. You know, like she just seemed <laughs> totally like, like her. herself. You know, like I just thought, oh, she's a great Belle. And the music was, I'm ready in like a year when they re release it as a sing along, like they did with the Bieber <laughs> movies and that kind of stuff. I'm like, I yes. can do that. But you're, I mean, and I agree with everything you said. I had the exact same experience. It was beautiful. It was nostalgic in like really great ways. There were some new scenes that we won't spoil that I thought were really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked how tenderhearted the beast was. I felt like we saw that better than the cartoon. But I also have a real special relationship with the cartoon version of Lumiere. Like, I oh, loved I him. I had a metal yeah. pen that I, like, wore in middle school <laughs> of Lumiere. I loved oh, him. And so awesome. I didn't love his look as much in this. I love that we're, like, talking movies and TV shows. Like, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> my, like, Annie, my mom, I'm not even joking you, my mom would take me out of school when there were important movies I needed to see. Oh. Like, that is how strongly our family is characterized by film and yeah. theater and TV shows. My brother and I will um, email each other links to different Ryan Gosling interviews because we're both obsessed with how funny he is yes. in talk shows. Yes. So, like, this is just my happy place. And I really do, like, I joke with our mutual friend Anne because she sees the world through the lens of a lot of theology, you know, and I see the world through the lens of movies. Yes. And so <laughs> I am constantly it's where I go in order to remember my own faith, which I know is strange to some people. But why does it have to be only one way that God speaks to us, right? right. I think he meets all of us in very unique ways. And for me, since I was a little kid, movies, you know, TV shows and books really have been the way. Like my mom had this huge bookshelf and she was, you know, English, Latin, like super smart teacher, professor, all the stuff. And I would work my way through her bookshelf and I remember her being like, oh, you're not ready for that book yet. You can read this book, you know? And she would, I would read certain books and then we'd have long conversations about the books and, you know, dissect them together. And they weren't all Christian books. Like there are books on all kinds of stories. And so Where I come from, stories have always been how I understand the world. And so my 11-year-old son, Jackson, has just started reading the Harry Potter series. Yeah. And it is magical to now live that through his eyes. And I know this is one of those things people have very strong, conflicting feelings on. Like Jackson came home the other day and told me, Mom, it was so weird. This kid on the bus was like, uh, if you're a Christian, you can't read Harry Potter. And he was like, what is that about? (laughs) (laughs) And so I want to be respectful because I understand that there is a school of thought out there that that believes maybe as believers we can't. But man, if ever there was a series about sacrificial love, this is the series. Like it is so powerful and about, you know, where we come from in our broken places and our stories and, and the choices we make that define us. So he's 11 and he's reading these books and so I'm making him read the books before he watches the movies yeah. and all his friends are like why don't you just watch the movie and he's like because my, you know, because when you read it yourself you can see it yourself first you know yeah. it's richer in your head and, and now I have the joy of like watching the movies with him every time when he's done reading the book and the yeah. best part of course is he's like but that's not how it is in the book or those are like, <laughs> the wrong hair color and I just right. love watching that his imagination is so real and um, you know this is why books help us understand our lives because he was he's in middle school he's heading into middle school and he was having a hard day at school and he was just talking about he's like it's man that kid is just like Draco Malfoy mom that's who he's like and he and I, and I said to him I know buddy I just um, and we, we, I was encouraging him and he's like you know what he said to me he's like you know I just haven't found my Ron or Hermione yet mom oh, I God just love haven't him. found that's them the yet sweetest. and I was just like oh my god 
gosh, yes, that's what everybody needs, a Ron or a Hermione yeah. who has your back and tells you the truth no matter what. Man, and it sounds like it's so interesting to hear you talk about your childhood because your brothers ended up making films and you ended uh-huh. up writing books. Isn't that Did crazy? You, I know. And so how many, let's see, you, how many books have you written now? So I have written, this is my second book. So I wrote Surprised by Motherhood, which is my yes. memoir about not wanting to be a mom and ending up with three kids. And um, and now I've written Never Unfriended is what it's called. Never and it comes Unfriended. out this week, actually. It came out on Tuesday. Yeah. And so I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And um, it's called The Secret to Finding and Keeping Lasting Friendships. And then it's followed up by a Bible study that comes out in May called We Saved You a Seat. And there is both um, an adult women's Bible study and a teen girls oh, version of the it. Bible study coming out that really unpacks all the feelings yes. we have about yes. friendship. So I ate, I'm not even kidding you, I must have eaten my body weight in candy corn oh. writing these things because <laughs> I remember. it's like my go-to stress food. Right. You no, know, you had many panic messages from me. Annie, no, Annie, no, I'm no, I it. love it. Okay, so what made you decide to write a book called Never Unfriended? What made you decide to even write about friendship? Well, I mean, you know this, but I'll share for our readers. For the last seven years, I've served as the community manager for an online website called Encourage. Yes, so we, we just had uh, Jennifer Dukes Lee on talking about the about Craving Connection a couple I weeks ago. Her. I know. So it's Encourage. I encourage. Um, because we talk about how it requires a degree of courage to encourage one another, and we have right. to be in community and in Christ, so we call it Encourage. So really, I've spent seven years talking to women about women about friendship, about our insecurities. And the two things I've learned are, one, we are deeply wired for friendship and we all really want it, like meaningful friendship, number one. But number two, we've all got a lot of scars from friendship and have been hurt by it and experience a degree of what I call friendship PTSD. Yep. And and so those two things, those two things are in tension with one another. And so how do you move through that? And I really believe we're called to friendship, that it's a spiritual call. And so um, a book was born out of it, this journey that unpacks what I've learned from seven years of getting to listen in on really smart, wonderful women talk about friendship in their lives. And then basically, as you know, as any writer does, um, share all my own friendship failings in a book so other people can feel better about themselves. Right. That's how it feels like every time you write. Every time. Yeah, that's yeah, what it feels like, like for oh, me as good well. good time. Let's sit down and just share all my failures again. Right. <laughs> really looking forward to that. Do you know I had a new friend text me and say, hey, I just picked up Looking for Lovely. I can't wait to read it. And I was like, wait, I wouldn't have told you all that yet. <laughs> like, don't, don't do that. I'm not, I'm not ready for you to know all that. But the, And that's how it feels in books sometimes, isn't it? Totally. Totally. And even with the friends I know really well, like yeah. I have like life friends from um, our church in Virginia and we live in Maryland now. We're still really close. And they read, you know, they read the book. And I was like, my friend Connie messaged me and she's like, wow, I get what you're saying about it being really vulnerable and you feeling naked. And I'm like, wait, she already knows everything about me. And then I was like, yeah. ooh, there's that one story that, right. you know, that was only in my head that nobody knew. And yeah. now it's in a book, you yeah. know? So it is the very strange experience where God asks you to basically be willing to go first. You yeah. know, I share all my crazy so you can feel better about yours. Yeah, I had someone uh, ask my parents, did you know Annie was going to put all that in a book? And I was like, I, no, no, I didn't know I was going to put all that in a book. My parents <laughs> certainly didn't know, you know, but I try, you know, of course, as know. we do that, I, I think readers know this, but as we do, you give the book to the people in the book long before it's public. So, right. but man, it is, it is hard. And being honest about, I mean, no one wants to talk about women in general don't want to talk honestly. We don't mind talking in big sweeping statements, but we don't want to talk honestly about how we need friendship and how friendship has hurt us and breakups. And I mean, we don't even want to think about it, let alone talk about it. Right. You know, we've talked about this before, but the worst breakup of my life was with a friend. I know. I quote you in the book. I actually quote that sentence in the book. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Good. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I think all of us can relate. I mean, yeah, it's a very hard topic. And it's funny because when I started writing the book, I was kind of like, oh, I have lots of friends and I feel like I'm pretty healthy in friendship. And then you start going back and unpacking and then you're like, ooh, my, yeah. So, yeah, there's stories in here that I... 
Well, let me say this first. I, um, I love how Anne Lamott talks about, she's this great writer who teaches about writing, and she says if someone shows up in one of your books, they should always be pleasantly surprised and not mm. horrified. So That's that is, good. of course, what I stick to in this book, too. So um, the stories I tell about my friends are always ones I, that I hope they'll find honoring. Um, but the stories I tell about myself, like I remember God brought things to mind where I was like, really, really, I'm going to tell this story? Like... I don't know that I want to put that out there, you know? And I, one of my most vulnerable things I shared that nobody knew, like literally had not told a soul until they will now read it in this book, is I talk a lot about how the two enemies of friendship are these two statements we make, I'm fine and I'm so busy. Mm, and when good. you make those two statements, there really just isn't time to dig into a friendship. Because if you're fine, well, there's nothing more to talk about then. I'm glad yeah. you have your life together. I yeah. am not fine. <laughs> right. You know? I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. But I can't talk to you now because you yep. are. Yep. Or um, I'm so busy, then I feel like I can't bother you because you're too busy to talk about how unfine I am. And so I really, I really have tried to lean into that, like understanding that I need to not be busy in order to have real friendship. But I had a night, man. It is so embarrassing to tell the story, but I, there's this group of women from church. We called ourselves the Tuesday night girls because that just happened to be the night we started our Bible study. And like sure. seven years later, we still meet on Tuesday nights like at Panera and it doesn't have to do with a Bible study anymore. We just keep hanging out. Right. But we were at church for some event. It was late at night. I was really tired. I just wanted to get home. Like, you know that feeling. I just want to get on yep. my sweatpants, yep. you know, get everybody else settled and then watch Netflix. Like that was my goal that evening. And I will never forget it. We were cutting through the little coffee shop at church. I was trying to drag my kids together to get to the parking lot. And in between me and the exit was one of my Tuesday night girls. She had her back to me. Yeah. And she's just the sweetest lady. She lived in a trailer. She had cats. She would come out on Tuesday nights. It was like the highlight of her week. And yeah. I saw Connie's back and I dodged her. Like I did the whole mm. shuffle backwards, yep. go to the side crab walk, go out a different door. Right. Not because I don't love her, but because I was like, I just don't have time for this right now. Don't like I can't energy, get in a yeah. big catch up. I just want to go home. And my friend Connie had a stroke and passed away after that. And that was the last time I saw her alive. And like... I have to carry that with me. <laughs> like yeah. I, that that's a real thing that happened. And I mean, she, Connie knew I wasn't perfect, and I knew she wasn't perfect. And um, I, but I get to carry her with my in my head now. Anytime I'm about to say to a friend, "Oh, I'm too busy for that," or "I don't have time." So when people leave me messages now, they'll say like, "You know, good friends will be like, oh, I just wanted to ask you such and such, and I know you're so busy. I don't mean to bother you, man." I respond right away like, "I'm not too busy for you. Please don't ever have that thought in your mind about me. Like, yeah. I might be busy and you're busy too, but let's not be busy for each other. You know, right. like, let's be right. let's be available." Available for each other. And so, man, that gift, and I realized like I stole something from Connie in that moment. Like I stole time from her. And it's not even mine to steal. Like I didn't even create it. Like God created time. And I stole it from her. And so in writing the Bible study, I spent a lot of time looking at how Jesus was never too busy. He was very busy, but he was never too busy for people. And his entire ministry is basically a story of interruptions. People are constantly interrupting him. He's on his way somewhere, and then you know a blind man calls out to him, or he's on his way to heal somebody, and a woman stops him. Like He is constantly interrupted everywhere he goes. And at no point do you ever hear him like huff and sigh and you know mutter how busy he is under his breath. And it was very, it's been very convicting for me to spend time with him when I think about that's what friendship looks like. Do you feel like you learned a lot about yourself when you were writing this? Oh my goodness, yes, so much. You just feel like the Holy Spirit gets all up in your business. I think the biggest thing I learned is for a long time I thought. Um, I think in our culture, we think, what's in it for me? We're, we're, in a, we're a what's in it for me culture, you know, like that thing that's being advertised on TV for $19.99 and free shipping, like what's in it for me? And we tend to approach friendship that way too, like what's in it for me? And I felt like Christ's paradigm really though is what's in it for you, for the friend? Like what am I bringing to them? Friendship isn't for me. Friendship is actually an act of service for somebody else. Yeah. And so that was really surprising because I think we tend to think, oh, friendship will be easy for me if that person can just get her act together, yeah. if she can just fix that, or if she can be less annoying, or if she can be less controlling, or less needy, or whatever. We think God just fixed that person. Right, <laughs> like God right. is like, no, no, no. 
I'm using this person to fix something in you, you know? And I, I mean, other people is how God actually gets to us. And so it was a massive shift in how I thought about friendship. Friendship isn't a what's in it for me question anymore. Friendship is what's in it for you. What can I bring to you? How can I serve you? And if my focus is on somebody else, it's actually such a relief to get out of my own head and stop obsessing over how um, Peter is always trying to remind me the entire world does not revolve around you, Lisa Joe. But as women, we can build up like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, great. good times. But you know how we do that, right? We make everything about us. Yeah. And um, but a friendship paradigm that says what's in it for you starts to focus on somebody else and it's a relief to kind of just drop me for a while and stop obsessing about myself and what I want out of something. Right. Well, it's a really beautiful book, Lisa Joe. I just I found um, I found my page, by the way. You quote me right at the oh, beginning. You did? Yeah, I know. I love it. Um, thank you so much for writing this. I think it's an interesting thing happened about a year ago where another author was saying, "Oh, I just saw another book come out that was like mine from a different publisher." And then two weekends ago at an event, I was eating lunch. I was speaking, and there were, I was eating lunch with the other speakers. And one of the girls said, "Well, after I just heard that guy, now I need to change my talk because my talk is about some of the same stuff." And I said to them the same thing that the author and I talked about about a year ago, this idea that sometimes God works thematically in the planet, yeah, absolutely. you know, and it just feels like friendship is a theme that we're supposed to be talking about. Mm-hmm. It just feels like it's popping up everywhere. Right. I mean, I think he keeps, the reason we see so many books written on friendship or on marriage or on motherhood is that we need to keep learning those things over and over. Like those are not, we're never like, oh, now I'm done. Like I have learned everything there is to know about being a mother or being a friend or how can that possibly be true? And I felt intimidated when I started writing because there are so many books written on friendship, so many. But um, two things are true. One, there are friendship lessons I haven't learned and I had to learn them by writing this book. Right. And two, um, I have a unique story when it comes to friendship, like everybody does. And so I get to add my story to the conversation that's already ongoing about friendship. I get to be part of that conversation. I don't get to own the conversation. I don't get to be, you know, the one voice in the conversation, but I get to be part of it. And so that's how God's encouraged me when I have felt that way sometimes that you get to be part of a conversation that's been going on for a long time. And I mean, I really believe friendship is breathed into our spiritual DNA. We believe in a three-in-one God who is a community who are, we hear God talk to God, you know, when Jesus is baptized, you have all three elements of the Trinity represented and God the Father speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, you know, and the Holy Spirit descends. Like there's a sense of love and community and pride and all of those things that we experience in our own friendships too. And I think often I hear women talk about, I'm just done. I'm over friends. I, you know, I've been hurt too many times. I'm closing the door. But I don't think we can actually cut it out of ourselves, not without hurting ourselves, that it is actually grafted into our spiritual DNA, this need for friendship. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what does it mean then? You know, how do I lean into that um, in the way that Christ really did, I think, intend and invite? That's really good. I'm like writing quotes as you're going. Friendship is breathed into our spiritual DNA. That's so good. Because it is. I mean, there are times I felt this, and you and I have talked about this. I felt like going, you know what? I don't I don't need to give in this friendship as much as I have historically because I don't want to get hurt again. Right. And then right. but it is. It's about being willing to give, not unhealthily, not not codependently or mm-hmm. extremely, mm-hmm. but being willing to go, okay, I know I've been hurt in these kind of situations before, but I can't run from them. Right. I know I had um, some interesting experiences during the writing of this book, and I remember telling the Lord, like, okay, so this friendship has been hard, and, you know, I'm done now. Like, I I did everything you asked. Right. I tried, you know, I really, look, go me. Like, I tried to practice everything you asked me to do, and now I get to be done, right? And as much as you can imagine maybe the Holy Spirit speaks back to your spirit, you know, not in an audible voice, but in that sense where you 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 feel like you're learning something and you're not quite sure where it came from. I, I had the impression that his response to me was simply, there is no done when it comes to love. There's Ooh, just wow. more. 
Like, there's no done, there's just more. And I will admit, I was horrified to hear him say that. Yeah. Like, I was just like, wait, what? You know, I, I want to be done now. And he was like, no, no, there's just more. And here's what I learned about that more. Sometimes that more is us, and he wants us to walk pretty deep into some friendships that are inconvenient or difficult or challenging so that we can actually be sacrificial love to those people. But if it gets to that point where you sense it has become unhealthy, here's the interesting thing about Christ. He doesn't just say, yes, now we're done. We cut that person off like they're dead to us. What I experienced is he says, okay, Lisa Joe, that is now too hard for you to keep carrying. Give it to me. And yeah. he keeps caring and walking more and more and more into love with that person. That is what blew my mind about discovering what he means. Like, he is so serious about friendship that he did literally die for it. And I watched him these last few years continue to carry friendships that I couldn't anymore because he loves other people so much. And so if my first book, Surprise My Motherhood, really was a book in which I learned, again, how much Jesus loves me. I mean, he really, he showed me through my kids how he loves me. But this book, Never Unfriended, is a book in which he showed me how much he loves other people. Like, he loves them in ways we can't possibly fathom. Like, he is radically, obsessively in love with the human beings he has created. And he will do whatever it takes, including laying down his own life for them. And it was really shocking to me to, to think what that means for my day-to-day -day friendships. And I'm, I'm not even talking like your big churchy friendships with well-known people. I'm talking about the really annoying neighbor kids who arrive every night <laughs> at dinner at my house. Like, right. why are they here again, you know? Right. And I just would hear Jesus be like, open the door, like invite them in. That is what friendship does. Like friendship isn't this glamorous thing. Real friendship is real awkward a lot of the time. It involves sometimes bringing, I had a friend, we had a night where we'd had like a weekend of the most epic stomach flu known to man. I actually hoped I would die at one point. And as we were sort of shakily recovering, she texted me one morning and said, hey, I'm making stew this morning. I think I'm going to make extra and I'll just drop it off at your house. You don't even have to open the door. I'll just put it outside the front door. And I was ready to just text her back and be like, no, we're fine. But I was writing this book and I was like, wait, back up, back up. We're not fine. Yeah. Yes, please. And so friendship sometimes is like bringing stew over to your, your people who are recovering from a stomach bug. Like friendship is very inconvenient. It's awkward sometimes. You have what my friend Deidre calls next level conversations where you have to talk about the things you'd rather not talk about sometimes because somebody got hurt. And Annie, you've written about this. I mean, one of my favorite blog posts is the one you talked about showing up at a cafe to have that awkward conversation with a friend, but, but those are the moments where our friendship gets very real and um, takes it to yeah. the next level, I think. Yeah, you're making me think about friendships that I'm in currently that I'm like, am I, am I living this or am I just saying this? Am I actually living what Lisa just says? So, well, know, thank Lisa you for writing this. She wonders that sometimes. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Never unfriended. I just love it, Lisa Joe. I think it's, I think you've done the hard work here that are gonna, is gonna benefit a lot, a lot of women. Well, and I have to just add a caveat to that title, Never Unfriended, because as, as you're asking yourself, am I doing this? And I know other women do too. In order to spare us all a degree of guilt, let me just say this. None of us are capable of this. Like this kind of never unfriended friendship, the promise really only comes from Christ. Like he's the one who can live up to that and he's the footsteps we want to walk in. But even Jesus himself, had friendship breakups, you know, right. like Judas quit him. Many of the people who'd followed him around quit him. And at the end, his own disciples quit him. So I just want to, to the women that are listening that feel like I don't know how to do that kind of friendship or that's impossible for me. I just want to say that Jesus, who is the model of literally the perfect friend who laid his life down for us, understands from the inside out what those kind of friendship breakups look like and feel like. I mean, he was called a man of sorrows and I took a lot of comfort in it the last few years, because there are just going to be some things we can't fix sometimes. And it's comforting to me that Jesus himself couldn't fix some of the relationships he was in, you know? And thank goodness for that example, because I feel like it's a big relief to know that at the end of the day, I can always count on him to never unfriend me. He's the That's one right. guarantee there. And, and, and I'm going to And he doesn't always wrong. tie a bow on stuff, which I appreciate. Nope. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank yeah. goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> Um, well, Lisa Joe, let's tie a bow on this podcast. I can do that. Yeah. Um, I'd like last, to see how you wrap this baby up. Oh, listen. The last question we ask everyone is the, my favorite, and it's the same for everyone. Because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun, I want to know what sounds fun to you right now. 
I know. I'm going to give you such an unspiritual answer. I oh, can't even listen. Tell you. So um, my idea of total and amazing fun is to be in a hotel room okay. by myself without my children or spouse who I love with room service and Netflix for an entire uninterrupted king weekend. King size bed or two queens? Well, it depends on whether or not a, uh, the king size wipes out the bathtub. Because if it's a nice uh-huh. hotel, I want a deep, fancy bathtub. Yep. So I'll take a queen if you're going to give me the fancy bathtub yep. as the, you know, the compromise. But yeah, just lots and lots and lots of a Alone time with Netflix. What's your really go-to room service order? Oh, it's so lame, but hamburger and fries. Fries, man. Hotel it's french fries. fries are the business. Why are they so good? I, I don't know. know. The cute little jar of ketchup that's so adorable. Right? Rebecca Lyons oh. says the same thing. Rebecca is a cheeseburger and french fries after she speaks. Okay, that sounds really fun, Lisa Joe. I love the idea of you getting some alone time with Netflix and and. Um, I know. Room service. Last year I had the ideal Mother's Day. I was speaking at an event and so they put me up at a hotel with room service and Netflix and then I spoke and they all felt bad for me and that I was away from my children and I was like, no, no, I'm living the dream, people. Yeah, no, no, no. We've done the right thing. (laughs) Um, Hey, Lisa Joe, I'm going to link this in the show notes and stuff, but can you tell us where people can find you and where they can find the book? Sure. I'll give you a one-stop shop. It's just neverunfriended.com. And there oh, are brilliant. links to the book and to me and to Encourage and to Friendship Confessions and all the good stuff. Neverunfriended.com. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Lisa Joe. I just, I am honored to be one of your friends. I love you. I think you're amazing. So thanks for being on here. Oh, man. I talk movies and friendship with you any day of the week, Annie Downs. That's right, girl. That's right. Well, congrats on the book. I'm happy that it's out and it can be in people's hands. And I hope a bunch of our friends go and grab it today. I hope so too. Thank you, friend. Oh, I'm so grateful to Lisa Joe. What a fun conversation. And I learned a lot. I don't know about you, but I learned a lot today. Hey, if you enjoyed that conversation, there are a couple of other authors that I bet you would like that we have interviewed before, like Shauna Nequist or Ann Voskamp and Emily P. Freeman, who in fact, excitingly, also has a new book releasing this week. It's called It's Simply Tuesday. It's a coloring book companion to her amazing book, Simply Tuesday, that came out a year or so ago. It is a beautiful coloring book that I think you're going to love. So make sure you check that out when you're thinking about building your Easter baskets and planning for your vacations this summer and what books you want to bring along. Definitely grab Emily's coloring book. It's Simply Tuesday. Hey, just a reminder, we are doing a What Is It Like to Write a Book podcast episode in a couple of weeks, and we have just got a pile of questions from you guys ready to answer. We're going to have a special guest interviewing me, so I don't have to interview myself, and we are going to talk about what it is like to write a book, what the process is like. Y'all have tons of questions about how to get started, how do you know when to write a book, how do you know when you're finished. It's been really interesting to see what y'all want to know, and if you have questions and haven't submitted them yet, I'm super easy to find. Just email it to us, Annie at Annie F as in fancy, AnnieFDowns.com. Or you can tweet them to us, Facebook message me, whatever makes you happy. I'm embarrassingly easy to find, as you know, Annie F Downs across all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the places. Anywhere you want to find me, Annie F Downs is how you find me. Also, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. We hope you feel never unfriended here. Um, And if you will go back and get a chance to rate the podcast and review it, that really helps other people know that they are welcome here as well. And make sure you subscribe so you won't ever miss an episode. We have a handful more coming this spring that I am really, really excited about. I think you're going to love as well. So we don't want you to miss any of those. So when I'm thinking what sounds fun to me today, here it is. I'm about to walk down the streets of New York, gather a little inspiration and sit down and write for a while. Then I'm meeting up with a buddy and we're going to go to a matinee on a Wednesday. And I'm really excited about that. So that's what sounds fun to me. And so whatever you're up to today, I hope you will find something to do that sounds fun to you too. Y'all have a great week and we will see you next Thursday.